Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Thursday, September 22nd, 2022. I am John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. Happy to be back with you after a couple of days off. And I thank uh, my my co-participant here in the podcast, Noah Rothman, for ably filling in during my absence running this uh, goat rodeo. Uh, and uh, hi, Noah. You can say hi. Not, he can't Hi, John. Say, I'm completely unprepared to be the first person in the line. The first here. person, but you introduced Christine first the other day, and she, so I figured I would introduce you first. But since I'm talking about you, it would be weird to go back. Sorry, listeners. The intro there is still a mess. Whatever. Anyway, with me, with that it's all part of my diabolical and, plan. <laughs> yes. Executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Wow. You're keeping us on our toes. Hi, John. And uh, media commentary columnist and American Enterprise Institute fellow, Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And I forgot to mention Noah Rossman's book, The Rise of the New Puritans, available at Amazon. So now, you know, once again, you can say hi twice just to confuse everybody. Go ahead. Say hi twice. Hi, John. Excellent. Okay. I'm going to offer you a proposition. It's very simple. The proposition is this. It is September 22nd. Every day that the news centers on Donald Trump is a day that the Democrats win. And there are only, I don't know what it is now, uh, 52 days till the election or something like that, or 50 days of the election. I don't know. Um, 48 days of the election. So, uh, so the Democrats won big yesterday, big, big win for the Democrats because we had news in the morning. Tish James is the New York Attorney General's uh, lawsuit against Donald Trump, and then in the afternoon, a uh, an appeals court uh, uh, overturning in part the decision of the judge in Florida, who said that a special master should be reviewing all of the documents seized from Mar-a-Lago, and that the Justice Department could not proceed touching dealing or looking at them or proceeding with them in any way shape or form in the appeals court in a pretty pretty scathing decision basically said that's ridiculous so morning trump afternoon and evening trump and uh so that's my proposition it's not democrats want trump front and center in november as the face of the republican party as the leader of the Republican Party, as the proxy person you would vote for if you're voting Republican in the midterm elections, and they got their wish at least yesterday. That's my proposition. Oh, it's Anybody a category know? error, though, to suggest that Democrats created the Mar-a-Lago situation. Donald Trump invited what happened yesterday. Tish James is a whole other story. Tish James is, is attempting to manufacture and fabricate a, a Trump news cycle. And she succeeded. So my point is, that uh you know uh the republican party just can't quit donald trump and democrats just can't quit donald trump and right now uh, not quitting donald trump uh is the be- is the basically the whole card for democrats if they are to um pull off some kind of a surprise positive showing and however you want to define that uh you know in the november midterms and donald trump can't quit donald trump so he'll he'll keep himself uh, in 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 the cycle day after day on Truth Social. Uh, well, he was on Hannity last night. Yeah, on Hannity. You know, all of it. So. Can I note that 
the Tish James case is also a case against uh, Trump family members. It's not just against Donald Trump. He, it's also his son, daughter, um, obviously going after his empire. And I would tentatively disagree with the idea that it's going to help Democrats because even some Democrats and some former prosecutors are looking at the case she's trying to make and going, eh, really? I mean, it, it's obviously political because any real estate family in New York City could be subjected to the kind of civil uh, case that she's she's uh, pursuing here. Um, it's very technical. It's not clear that, you know, if she gets this case before a jury that it the jury is going to be at all uh, persuaded by getting into the the deep deep details of of how real estate assessments and, and bank loans are made uh there the banks themselves are not suing trump they they actually are fine the fraud that she's alleging he committed is is uh the allegation is made by her, but the banks have not alleged any fraud on the part of the Trump uh, empire. So if this case crumbles in the way that the the uh, criminal case, which they try to pursue, which is very similar to this one did, I'm not sure that does make it good for Democrats, except, as you say, in the narcissistic way that Trump loves to be the center of attention, whether that attention is negative or positive, that he stays in the news. But the case itself is is not particularly strong. But Trump seems to want to settle. Um Right. Which usually these kinds of cases do settle. This is. A, yeah. Right. But, but, they, but they've but, already rejected one settlement offer he's made, though. So. But might that I'm, and I'm not speaking here as a legal matter. I'm talking politics. Might that not um, work against him politically? Because the idea in the public's mind is if he wants to settle, it's because he knows he's he's they've, they've got him um, on some level. Well, let's talk about term. OK, so <clears throat> short term. We got six or seven weeks to this election. Medium term, we have decisions about who's running for president when, and then long term is actually the presidential election of 2024. So short term, nothing's going to happen with this case. She announced it. The documents are out there. And now comes the big silence. It's the big silence. People lawyer up. He lawyers up. All the Trump kids have to get lawyers. Everybody's got to start making, you know, it's a civil case. These things can take years. So um, yesterday was the high water mark for the short term. Nothing, they won't even be in court. You know, there won't be anything before a judge, nothing. Okay. Medium term, of course, goes to whether or not the case is um, seen by Trump and the Trump family and everything as sufficiently serious that they either need to forestall it going further and make a generous settlement offer or make a settlement offer that Tish James can say that she won because she has no, literally no uh, reason whatsoever to settle, particularly if it's a political case. She wants this sword hanging over his head, period. She doesn't want to settle unless the settlement is her saying, I won, except in other means. I wanted $250 million in fines. He's paying $100 million in fines. I wanted them to be out of business for five years. They've agreed to be out of business for two years. They're essentially acknowledging that my suit is correct. And that's the settlement that she can make. Otherwise, there's no way she settles at all. Because everybody who wants her, likes her, is on her side, thinks Trump is guilty. So she's got no, no grounds to settle. And then in the long term... How all that plays is what will determine whether he runs for president and whether it's a good or a bad thing for him as president. I agree that the case is lousy. Let's just go through what she is alleging 
acknowledging that we are not real estate people, nor are we lawyers, nor are we anything. She is saying that he uh, overvalued his properties in order to borrow more money from banks and to have and to claim to be richer than he was and that the banks thinking that he was richer than he was would not only lend him money but do it on relatively favorable terms that say you were you or I might not be able to get if we went to them for a mortgage and that's not fair okay as christine alludes to what's the harm where is, this is a civil case civil cases involve counterparties who have been harmed her claim somehow is that a harm has been done and that she does not have the grounds on which to sue him for tax malfeasance, that's something she's referred to the IRS, or for criminal misbehavior, that she is supposedly referred to the Southern District of New York. But in this case, she is suing on the grounds that he has done a harm. And as Christine says about the bank, if the banks that loaned him money and are presumably getting paid their money back do not believe that they have been harmed, I don't understand how the case goes very far with a judge because you it's a tort. You have to prove a harm. And the harm is that somebody borrowed $300 million instead of $200 million and that that $100 million could have been loaned to somebody else. I mean, I suppose that's a harm in some wild general sense that an amount of money was removed from the general loaning pool and somehow gobbled up by Trump unjustly because his property wasn't actually worth what he said it was worth. But by the way, banks are obliged for their own to their own stockholders to do due diligence and not simply accept when Donald Trump says my apartment's worth $323 million, they can go on street easy and discover that there's no way it's worth 300. Well, and he, I know it's not yeah. worth $323 million. No apartment in New York has ever sold for more than $150 million until this year. No apartment, let well, alone he acknowledged, some, yeah. he acknowledged that in all these documents, it says these are unaudited assessments. And then the banks themselves do their own internal audits. That's right. that, like you said, that's what they do. They took so, the risk, even yeah. knowing that. So she kept saying it's the art of the steel. It's not the art of the deal. It's the art of the steel. You know, no one is above the law. So she was doing this whole no one is above the law line. She is not actually enforcing law. She is claiming that his business behavior represented did harm to counterparties. That's what she is as a civil New York attorney general. She, as I said, everything that is possibly law-breaking had to be referred to somebody else for potential prosecution. And I, the just everybody has been in possession of exactly the same documents that she has, right? Those are those, the IRS has them, the Justice Department has them, everybody has them. So if the, you know, and they're better at figuring out whether he broke the law than she is. So you know, or then then the attorney, the staff of the attorney general of the state of New York, which is, again, a civil office that prosecutes civil violations. He Viola it, yeah, go ahead. I, I was going to say that if I mean, when you look at what she's presenting as uh, so far as her evidence, he he would seem to be in some 
tax jeopardy, right? Like if there's any sort of fraud going on, it would definitely probably end up showing in some way on his on his tax returns. And we know his historic uh, uh, allergy to revealing anything about his tax returns and the lawsuits to, to get him to disclose them. But again, that's a federal matter. And I don't it's it's not necessarily clear that a guy who's already being uh, who's who's uh, private home has been raided by the Department of Justice. Politically, it would also be dangerous to have the IRS going after him in a criminal context, prosecuting him for some form of tax fraud. Um, they might do it and there might actually have been fraud, but that seems to me a stronger likely case to be made. But she can't make that case. That is not her. That's not in it her did, purview. She she did say she's she's referred. The, exactly. The, I think the, that's why in some ways this IRS, case yeah. is almost like her getting out there, selling her wares to a higher right. federal bidder who could take right. them and then really get them. <laughs> but the logic. Again, I'm not a tax lawyer. I don't understand any of this exactly. I'm just trying to think through this logically the way an individual voter would. So her claim is that he committed tax fraud by saying he had more money than he had. No, no, he overvalues, he overvalues it to get the loan and then he undervalues it to get a tax break. That's the fraud. That's the idea. In, in okay, a but 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 if he undervalues it to get the tax break, that has absolutely or undervalues it on his do. tax returns to take right. a loss. I would but that has nothing to do with whether he overvalued it to get right. the loan. The undervaluing to get the tax break, that is a matter between him and the IRS, irrespective right. of how he got the money. Right, it's nothing to do with overvaluation. Her the her case is about overvaluation. It has nothing right. to do with any tax fraud. So she's saying he went to banks and said Mar-a-Lago is worth $175 million and it's worth a tenth that, or his apartment was worth $323 million. And that's bad because it wasn't worth that. And that wasn't worth that. And this wasn't worth that. And if you were defaulting on payments for money that he borrowed against his apartment or against Mar-a-Lago, then she would have him not only would she have him dead to rights but any counterparty would loan him money would have him dead to rights that is you know he he would have lied to them and they would have him you know they would have him have making false representations and all of that and and basically but that's no one's alleging that he's not paying back his loans and we don't even know what the loans are whether he had like who knows like it's very important to him to claim that he was worth $10 billion. For all we know, this is all part of a scheme to claim that he was worth $10 billion, which is kind of pathetic if he's not worth $10 billion. But it's very but it's not illegal. But right. I mean, yeah. like the idea that he wants to be on the Forbes list, right? He wants to be seen as powerful and rich, even if actually his businesses were in some sort of trouble. It makes perfect sense to me that someone with of his personality type yeah. would actually do this just so he could make a like be able to say to go to Forbes and say, I want to be on this list because look at I'm worth all this money. So if all of you are right, and I think you are, um, then this has almost no potential to advance Democrats interests. It serves Donald Trump's interests because he can probably get some people to rally around him because he's once again being persecuted by the powers that be in this case, actually somewhat legitimately. But I think it's all entirely undermined by what happened yesterday. With regard to the special master, right? That's let's real that. bad for him, right? That's let's a real get... news cycle, and it's going to be really detrimental to the Republican position, not just I the agree, Trump but... position, the Republican position. I agree. I just want to come back to that because I just want to close the circle on this. 
So again, the point is Tish James came out and of course all of the usual suspects said, oh, she got him. Oh, now he's in trouble. Oh, his kids are going to go to jail. Oh, they're not going to, this is going to cripple the Trump organization and uh, blah, 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 blah. And they can have their day. Like, you know, it's the classic MSNBC masturbatory cycle. Like they're all, they all just mutually kind of pleasure each other. Can I give you an example of that? I'm sorry to interrupt. Let's give you an example of that. Um, Matt Worker, who's the Politico uh, cartoonist. cartoonist. Oh yeah, he's, he's actually hilarious. kind of a nice guy, but he's very far left. Oh, he's so he, funny. Uh, <laughs> it's not. It's like one of those funny. guys who label something. It says like "rich fat cat." There's no such thing as a funny political cartoon in the first place. In his in his paw, it's like you know what? I know that it's a cat holding doll. You don't have to write "rich fat cat" on the cat because <laughs> if you're an idiot, doesn't make me an idiot. I like anyway, that. So ahead. we okay. have our disagreement. I don't know him and I don't care. Anyway, so this he published this cartoon. And it's an embarrassment that Politico, you know, has employed him. He published this cartoon. Well, I thought he published this cartoon yesterday. He put it out on Twitter yesterday, which features uh, Tish James in a little rowboat with a, a, a harpoon and Donald Trump as the great white whale, you know, festooned with similar harpoons. And he uh, labels it, call me Letitia. Now, this is an extraordinarily mixed metaphor um in part because uh just james is not depicted as uh ishmael in this he's she's depicted as ahab ishmael was the <laughs> martyr for liberalism uh ahab was the transcendentalist lunatic um and ultimately this is a cautionary tale about one person's obsession that destroys everything he cherishes and kills everybody around him so kind of apt right it turns out he published this cartoon in february which makes it perfectly contextually accurate because this is a long-running obsession that seems to have detrimental consequences for everybody who thinks it's a valuable exercise. I just don't know what the detrimental consequences are. She got her new cycle. She sued him. She's had this. She's been doing this for a year and a half. She's come up with this three hundred page lawsuit. You know, it's going to go through the grinding motions of a civil proceeding and probably end up going away sometime about a year, year and a half from now. She will have become a famous person. She wants to run for governor, uh, potentially, uh, you know, next time against Kathy Hochul, who is a very unimpressive person. She almost ran this time. But I think she figured she needed to fig- she needed this to finish it up. Hochul is not is going to win probably in November and probably be a disaster and be so Tish James has done what she needed to do and this has will dominate a new cycle for three or four days and give and again present what do Democrats need they need Democratic enthusiasm in November Democratic voting enthusiasm they need people who are Democrats who otherwise wouldn't come out to vote to come out to vote that's what they need and they need Trump for that and she gave them Trump she gave him yet another week of Trump. So in that sense, I think it is a it's a victory for for them, whether in the long term, it you know, it does him no damage uh, is immaterial in that sense. OK, let's get to the special master and the and the circuit court, because um, as no, as you say, the very idea of the special master is one that was floated by Trump, by Trump's people. And accepted by the judge in Florida, whose name Cannon, right? Um, whose name I serve. So she, following on her initial decision, said, okay, I'll appoint a special master who will examine all these documents. And then they found this guy, Judge Deary in New York. And Judge Deary, the day before it happened yesterday, had a hearing in his courtroom and basically said, 
what is the matter with you people to the Trump people? You you're saying that he might make the argument that the documents are are declassified, but you have no proof that they're declassified. Sorry, you can't do that. Like either say they're declassified or they're not, because if you're saying they're you're not ready to make the case that they're declassified, I'm going to treat them as classified and you're sh Shinola out of luck. He said Basically. specifically he has no no way to determine whether they're classified, save the little stamp on the document that says classified. Right. We need right. some evidence right. to adjudicate this case. Right. So and then Trump... he subsequently goes on television last night and says, yeah. as you say, quote, you can declassify just by saying it's declassified, even by thinking about it. Now, this is something that his people in his orbit have been saying, and we've been litigating this question, and it deserves to be litigated. Apparently it will. But. Trump lawyers have to make this case in court before right. until they do that. It's just bluster. I, but I, I think I they're going to try to yeah. make this case in court. And it sounds like if the, if their own special masters thought it was bunk and and this appeals court rained opprobrium down on Judge Cannon's hand, head saying this was just a nonsense decision that you can't possibly justify. How do they think this is going to fly? I there are two things I want to say. One of them is going to sound like insanely vainglorious, and then the other is 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 going to puncture the hole in my vainglory. I myself on this podcast, when this conversation first started, after the raid or the warrant search, whatever you want to call it, at Mar-a-Lago, I said that there is a world in which there is a theory that would say that Trump has the power to declassify simply by passing his hand over things and saying they are declassified because the power of classification, like the power of the executive branch resides constitutionally in the person of Donald Trump, in the person of the sitting president, not an ex-president, but a sitting president. There is no such thing as an independent power to classify. The fact that documents can be withheld from the public is an executive power. Executive power runs through not the executive branch, which didn't even exist exactly when the presidency was created. It runs through the person who was elected president. Therefore, logically, logically, there's no grounds on which you have to say there has to be a stamp that says this document has been declassified i don't the know if that follows logically things, let me let me finish because okay. i'll make my point in other words you you do it so that there is independent evidence that you did it right that's why you have a stamp on something that says classified so that everybody knows what the status is of this document you can declassify it if you are the classification source by saying that stamp no longer exists but if you don't record it if you don't record the fact that you've done that then you have no standing because no one you you can just say it after the fact and it may be existentially true that you declassified it but you can't prove it to anybody later which is why you would want it stamped declassified with a date on it showing that you declassified it the courts have no reason to believe that he did that or didn't do it that's why I say, in theory, what he said last night on Hannity by saying I can just think it is true in theory, but it will never be true in practice. 
And it was, but it's why this is a hard case. This is why it's not just simple that he violated classification procedures. Classification procedures do not affect or apply to the president of the United States because he is the classifier, right? But now he's not the president. So he can say 18 months later, I declassified them. If he has no independent proof that he did it before January 20th at 2021 at noon, then nobody has to believe him that he did it, even if he did it. I'm just saying I'm now worried that someone in the Trump orbit listened to me on that day and told him, and this is now in his head, because it was weird because I said, I said on that day, whenever that was, was it June or July? I said, Look, in theory, he could just pass his hands over these things and say they're declassified. And then we he were comes not out reacting says, to Cash Patel. It was I didn't know from Cash Patel when we had that first conversation. He said that. it after me. Maybe he listened to me. What about that, Noah? I'm not joking. Like I'm embarrassed that I hope, you know, it's a it's a weird thing. Or like I say, the fact that I said it then led him into this wild goose chase argument that is as i say as a debating thing as like something if you're in a dorm room at two o'clock in the morning can the president declassify a document when he is president just by thinking about it the answer might kind of be yes like particularly if you're stoned in your dorm room at two o'clock in the morning yeah i just don't understand why he's still not bound by procedure i i understand he can do whatever he wants and in other words, the power to to declassify is 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 all within him, um, but you still have to do it. Okay, here's why. This is the most okay. Now, everybody, please forgive me, okay, for this analogy, please, because it's the only one I can think of. But gravity does not apply to God. God may. God may live under the rules of gravity simply to live under the rules of gravity, but God makes gravity and therefore he can float if God wants to. That is kind of the analogy here. The president is I beyond we classification. Dorm room talk. No, I am so stoned right now because <laughs> I have a really bad cold. But anyway, that's my my general my general sense here is that. It's like when he discovered that thing about how when he said in during his transition that, you know, he wasn't the law didn't apply to him. You remember that when he said he thought he was going to have to divest his companies and then he talked to a lawyer and a lawyer said, you really don't. There's no law that says a president has to divest from his companies. And what's more, when you're president, you can't really be you can't really be arrested or charged with a crime and he was like i can do anything he said at a press conference at trump tower in november when he said i'm not divesting myself of my companies and and you can't arrest me anyway they tell me so hey hey but john just to play with your analogy even god has to speak it into existence no he can think it because he's god he doesn't have to speak it i don't know that's not the way it's recorded Uh, that's true. Say fair enough. Okay, fair enough. Genesis, first chapter of Genesis. Although he doesn't say everything, right? He says, let there be light. But then he separates the light from the dark and stuff like that. And he doesn't say that. Anyway, all right. 
this is a he ridiculous says good. analogy. Okay. It's a, okay, fair enough. He says it's good. Anyway, I mean, it's high-minded ridiculous... theology and constitutional scholarship aside, they're just throwing feces at the wall to see what sticks. Right. That's why they say, oh, I meant to take it. And then he says, oh, kind of, he said accidentally that showed up at Mar-a-Lago. And then last night he's on Hannity saying he did take it intentionally because he wanted these documents. They, they're, the president contradicts himself every other day because there is no story here. They did exactly what they're accused of. Right. So the, the reason that he's doing it is that we don't know why he did it. Right. The reason that we're having this argument is we don't understand why he did it. Is it just that he's a pack rat and he threw, you know, a whole, a whole bunch of stuff? He just, he like put a box on his chair by his desk and then he shoved everything on the desk into the box and closed it and they took it in the, in the, in the helicopter as he left the grounds. Or did he choose the documents deliberately because they have stuff in them that he wanted or whatever and that's that that goes to the heart of whatever it is that they're seeking to investigate him for right there are two things one of which is did he take classified documents which is a which is a procedural question right it's like he took classified documents and that's bad he shouldn't have they're not his power you know blah 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 but it's still a matter for like the national archives or is there a case to be made about the documents that he took that show a pattern that he is attempting to obstruct justice with, right? That's basically, you take the documents in order to obstruct justice. If they have things in them, you don't want anybody to see, or you want to blackmail somebody. I mean, whatever, right? That's basically, so we don't know why he took them and he's doing the kind of Maxwell smart. Would you believe I have, there are 20 agents and a dog outside. Would you believe there are 10 agents and 10 dogs? I mean, it's like, maybe the documents are classified. Maybe they're not. Maybe I'm not willing to make the argument yet. That's what's interesting about Deary, the ma the master. And God only knows if he's still, I mean, I guess he's still going to be the special master, though, what he is the special master. He's like master of none now, since the Justice Department can still use the documents. Um, I don't quite understand what he's going to do. He's just going to go through them. Largely, I guess, to say that Trump can look at them or Trump's lawyers can look at them. Well, I don't wait, even know the DOJ now can resume the investigation. So right, why, would, that, why right. would he have access to the documents at all, Deary? Because he now has to look at the documents to see if the Trump lawyers can look at the documents. A lot of this was about how could Trump prepare a defense against the DOJ if his lawyers can't look at the documents because they don't have clearance if the doj is going no, to the, the 11th their circuit highest. removed the documents marked as classified from the special master's review okay so but he's okay Deary so it's not according to the times judge Deary for now does not need to address either dispute so he's out he's out it's Boy, doj what, versus what Trump a break again. what a lucky what a lucky break for him seriously like what do you need this for? yeah but we're back to square one remember we had this but he would have said a week but and I, a half ago yeah. this was the best possible thing that could happen for trump so corollary leads us to what conclusion? This is the worst possible thing. That <laughs> well, it's not good. I mean, the last option wasn't good, but this is decidedly worse than the not good option. Once again, though, it appears that Trump has, you know, he just gets terrible advice. Like the person who said, you know, he should appoint a special master. Gave him terrible advice. Apparently, I think the idea was 
if someone had been on site on the day of this of the warranted search and said, you guys hold up, we should get a special master right now because there's some dispute about what these documents are. If that had been contemporaneous, apparently that would have been the way to do this. That's one of the ways that special masters get uh, appointed is that somebody says in the middle of a proceeding, look, there are things here that are my property and things that aren't, and somebody needs to figure out which is which. That's the other part of the special master's job, right? Yeah, but is to say is the Justice Department took these 300 documents, but you know, there's a letter uh, from you know Melania to Donald that shouldn't be in this pile that the Justice Department took. It needs to be returned to that to him. But but part of the what the ruling yesterday has to do with the fact that the Trump's team made no effort to demonstrate why any of that might be actually personal to him. Because they don't know what's there. I mean, that's in the end. The, the comic part about this is that his own lawyers seem to be terrified to make a solid argument either way, not just because he says five different things on five different and five different hours, but. If they say there are no classified, you know, there's nothing there and he da da da, they could get disbarred. If they make representations before a judge in an official proceeding about what is there and they don't know what's there and it, it turns out that they should have known that blah, 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 their futures are at risk. So they're using all this conditional talk in part as a means of self-preservation. You are not allowed to make a, um, you know, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You're not allowed to make a a, a lying state. You you can't knowingly lie to a to a, in a in a judicial proceeding to a judge as a lawyer, or you are disbarred. And obviously, everybody is looking to disbar every Trump lawyer. I, um, let yes, yeah, I, I, I was go ahead. Yeah, just going to add real quick. There was there was an interesting bit of political uh, uh, sort of public opinion response to this. That a new New York Times Siena poll that was taken after the Mar-a-Lago raid has not shown much of a difference in people's opinion of Donald Trump. It's still like you know less than half approve and more than half disapprove. And I thought that was kind of fascinating because we saw so much churn and turmoil and kind of a rush to support him in the in the immediate aftermath of it. And I wonder as if as this drags out and as his legal team makes kind of unfortunately stupid decisions like like these, uh if that will wane further. But it, it, there really hasn't been much of a difference. Now this is before the Letitia James suit. Uh, uh, yesterday, obviously, but it is post Mar-a-Lago. Okay, we should we should take that up. But first, uh, I need to talk to you guys about our friend Dan Sinor's podcast, Call Me Back. He's got one up this week with Mike Murphy, the veteran Republican consultant. Uh, that is uh, one of the most sheerly entertaining podcasts you will ever listen to if you are interested in politics, because it is about polling and the midterms and what what Mike uh, who you know, has worked on 34 or 35 major campaigns, gubernatorial and Senate, has to say about what the polls say. And um, what's important about what he says is that he issues a note of deep skepticism, not on the grounds that the polls are inaccurate or the polls are this or the polls are that, but that when you ask people who they would vote for early, you know, July, August, earlier than that, even September, that you are not you are you are literally even though this is what pollsters say you are literally capturing what they think 
at that moment and you are you cannot extrapolate from that to november unless the margins are really huge it's a mistake you don't know who's going to vote you never know what the electorate is going to be is how, how the electorate is going to be composed that's a guess who the electorate is that's a guess pollsters it is an art not a science because they are trying to model a nation that they don't really understand the composition of particularly in midterms which have a smaller electorate than presidentials anyway it's a great conversation it's the call me back podcast with dan senor go to apple google play stitcher wherever you get your podcasts the mike murphy episode they're all good he does one a week but this one is really special and you should really give it a shot and you should also give a shot if you would uh to our friends at clickup because look, imagine having one extra day every week to work on that novel, to learn how to cook, to learn how to bake, binge reality TV. Now it's all possible with ClickUp, the productivity platform that'll save you one day a week on work, guaranteed. ClickUp began with the premise that productivity was broken. There are too many tools to keep track of, too many things in entirely separate ecosystems. There had to be a more productive way to get through the daily hustle. And ClickUp is the one tool to house all your tasks, projects, documents, goals, spreadsheets, and more built for teams from 1 to 1,000 plus, packed with features and customization options that no other productivity tool has so you can work the way you work best. Whether you're in product management, engineering, sales, marketing, or HR, ClickUp is easy to use solutions that create a more efficient work environment. Join the more than 800,000 highly productive teams using ClickUp today. So use code COMMENTARY to get 15% off ClickUp's massive unlimited plan for a year, meaning you can start reclaiming your time for under $5 a month. Sign up today at ClickUp.com and use code COMMENTARY. Hurry, this offer ends soon. And finally, Noah's favorite sheets, Bowl and Branch. You know it, best 100 best 100% organic cotton threads under a superior softness and better night's sleep. They're not just buttery, breathable, and impossibly comfortable. They get softer with every wash. Forget thread count. Bowl and Branch gives you thread quality, okay? Highest quality threads on earth. You'll immediately feel the difference of their iconic signature sheets in all sizes, neutral colors, nine neutral colors from Twin Up to California King, 100% free from toxins, meaning no pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. Bowl and Branch sheets fit the deepest of mattresses and are labeled with top and bottom tags, so making your bed is easier than ever. Noah, is that true? Do you find the top and bottom tags of use to you? Because I was just making my kid's bed, and I three times had to shift the fitted sheet around just to get it in the right place. Yep. I have never been able to do that uh, effectively in the first try, accurately. You're always shifting it around but yeah the the fitted sheet is the best part of the sheet in part because it holds your hand and helps you you know put it on the actual bed but then it stays there it doesn't shift while you're it's big enough so that when you're shifting around at night it doesn't just fly right off the mattress and you end up on a naked mattress which is kind of unnerving uh that is by far the best part of what are otherwise amazing sheets buttery soft delicious it's the only thing i sleep on and when i'm not sleeping on it i'm kind of frustrated so okay there you go so fantastic Hopefully. and a 30 night risk-free trial with free shipping and returns on all orders so get 15 percent off your first set of sheets when you use promo code commentary at b-o-l-l-a-n-d-b-r-a-n-c-h.com that's bolin branch b-o-l-l-a-n-d-b-r-a-n-c-h.com promo code commentary okay 
let's talk raw politics now. Okay, so I'm saying that it's a good day for the Democrats when uh, when Trump has is front and center uh, in, in politics. And I have to say that in the days following the 60 Minutes interview, which I think Abe and I both watched and thought was pretty anodyne, once again, we go into like three days of course corrections by the White House. Doesn't look good. Like, I, I mean, maybe maybe only really seriously political people are paying attention, but they corrected him on COVID. They corrected him on Korea they correct i mean they corrected Taiwan. him yeah uh, excuse me did i say korea jeez I told <laughs> cold medicine anyway, for the yes, win there <laughs> right um i mean they corrected him on, on on taiwan they corrected him on covid um everyone's saying well, what does it mean can the president actually be held to account for saying that the pandemic is over does that have policy implications can you use it in the court da, 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 da. like that's not good if you're explaining you're losing he should have, you know, been it. And it's amazing to me, by the way, it's amazing to me that they keep doing this. I mean, maybe they think that it's good. They should have let it alone. Like what they're doing, issuing corrective statements to the president's words, they could just leave it there and then continue pursuing whatever it is that they're going to pursue. They make it worse. This is, again, a question about whether or not this is an effective political organization at the White House. And I think it isn't like they made this a three or four day story this one interview by saying yeah you know he didn't really mean it we don't really mean it you know he's kind of old i mean like what does it mean what are they saying when they correct the the top guy's words yeah but but there are trust him he's only the old senile guy at the head of things you know i ron Klain am running things that's good i don't think that's good no, but I think there are foreign policy hands, for example, who are pulling their hair out going, oh, he can't say that. That's 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 bad. That 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 contradicts what we're actually working toward here. Um, you know, it's just that the, the record's got to be corrected. But, you know. I don't actually think that what he said contradicts anything. I mean, OK, he said we'll defend Taiwan. I understand. He said we'll do it. Big deal. Like. Fine. He said, we still believe in the one China policy. Did China come out five minutes after the interview and say the president of the United States is evil? He's now said that he doesn't believe in the one China policy and we're going to, you know, like go to war. No, they went to I war. Mean, with yeah, themselves. they did. They lodged a formal protest. When? Three days ago. OK, so I'm wrong. OK, cold, cold medicine. OK, they lodged a formal protest. I don't I'm just saying like it's. It's stupid for them to go around correcting Biden. He's the president, and they are like low-level staffers, and it's enough already uh, with the correct correction of the misspeaking of the okay, president. But, but it's not just that he misspeaks in these interviews, and then they have to walk it back. He often says one thing, and then he walks it back himself a day later. So it's it, there's two kinds of confusion going on here. I agree with you, John, that his staff shouldn't be undermining in in this way. And you know, in previous administrations, that'd probably get you fired if you if you were, uh, you know, off the record telling reporters the opposite of what your boss had just said uh, uh, to the American people. But in this case, the the confusion is really endemic here. I mean, the call is coming from inside the house. He he's done this on so many occasions that I think rather than uh, what's frustrating to me is to not hear the media actually hold them to account and say, yesterday you said this, today you said this, which is it? That's the job of the fourth estate if they have any job left at all. And they are not 
they are not holding him to account for any of his own statements, setting aside what his staff try to do when they clean up after him. Yeah, and the COVID thing really does have significant policy implications. I, when it goes I, I agree. Courts. No, I the, agree. The Washington Post is tearing its hair out because they're yeah. saying the president's statement essentially means 15 million people will lose Medicaid coverage. The border restrictions will go away. The student loan transference will go away. Yeah. This will all go away. And we don't want it to go away. So yeah, the COVID, they don't want so it the to pandemic go away. has to stay here forever. Yeah. So Biden is in a is in an interesting bind here. Right. And you guys talked about this when I was gone. The bind is that it's good for him politically and for the Democrats not to be the party of covid, despite what David Leonhardt in The New York Times said. He's saying, OK, COVID's over. Let's move on. We're going to move on because, oh, we have so many jobs and we're about to reorganize the economy and blah, blah, blah. The future is bright. And then he's got all these people saying, no, pull, come back, come back into the darkness because we're throwing money at people and you're screwing up our throwing money at people like, OK, so uh, who 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 gets the better of that argument? The guy who said the pandemic is over gets the better of that argument. Like, that's not a good argument. We have to say that there's an emergency because of Medicaid is not a good argument. Medicaid wasn't extended, was extended because of an emergency. If the emergency doesn't exist, you don't get to claim that the emergency is perpetual. I mean, I mean by definition, can. an emergency cannot be perpetual. Emergencies Apparently can. not. Apparently it can, right? That's that's what that's essentially what this argument is. It's like, you know, oh no, you know. Now it's over and, you know, you actually have to make the claim that people, you know, don't just get everything for free. Like, I don't know. It's fascinating to me. I'm just saying that. So Biden, you know, had this uh, had this uh, lousy three days. And here we are politically uh, with Trump and. Jay Powell just raised interest rates by uh, 75 basis points and. I don't feel like things, I think that the Democratic momentum here, absent the Trump, is kind of coming to a screeching halt a little bit, uh, particularly this confusion about what's going on now with uh, Joe Manchin, the thing that got Joe Manchin to agree to the uh, inflation reduction, climate change, and, you know, boondoggle act uh which was that they were going to have this permitting reform uh so that stuff could be you know oil pipelines could be dug and all of that and uh apparently like there's a full-scale democratic revolt against this tim kane of, of virginia has now said he's voting against it bernie sanders says he's voting against it so all republicans are voting against it so mansion's not getting his uh if he doesn't get it, it'll be so delicious. He's not going <laughs> to get it. They will, it will be soul wonderful. Well, so, so here's a problem, though, because then if he doesn't get it, you're talking about a government shutdown. No, because, because this, they're going to vote on it. Then he's not going to get it. Then they re, then they resubmit the continuing resolution clean without it. That assumes that Joe Manchin goes goes along. So 50-50 Senate. Well, does he want to shut the government down? I mean, what does he have to lose now? He's done. He's toast. His political career is over. What? Just because he has a 26 percentage point is 26 percent approval in his home state. Yeah. Which which happened overnight. I've been in he worse made this grand bargain. Yeah. If he doesn't get his end of the bargain 
I mean, he's completely toast, but he's probably toast as it is. Why not go out with a blaze of glory? Okay, here is the here is the um, scenario as laid out by uh, Punchbowl. Okay, uh, Schumer files cloture as early today as early as today on the legislative vehicle for the continuing resolution. That's the budget that keeps the government open. This would include Mansion's permitting proposal. Filing today would set up a cloture vote. That's the vote where you say debate can end, and then the vote, and then the thing can go to a final. That needs 60 votes. The Senate is out Monday for Rosh Hashanah. We expect that there won't be anywhere near 60 votes for a motion to proceed to this shell bill due to the mansion proposal. Once it's clear this shell bill can't move forward with the mansion provision, Democrats can then offer a clean CR, which could originate either in the House or the Senate, although the Senate remains more likely, even though, of course, bills are supposed to originate in the House, according to the Constitution. Um, the CR is expected to include roughly $12 billion in Ukraine aid, will get overwhelming support from lawmakers eager to home to, home to campaign. So there will be a vote on Manchin's permitting thing, and he will lose. And then basically, uh, he can't... This is a 60-vote cloture, so he would need all Republicans and then Manchin and other Democrats would have to vote. I, I don't know, whatever. If, if Republicans vote for this clean CR, then then the bill will, will pass. So, so Manchin, uh, who seemed to be playing like three-dimensional chess, has now been, you know, like has lost a game of 52 pickup here, right? <laughs> he just, he just, uh, he just agreed to like, destroy his legacy and you know like you know spend hundreds of billions of dollars he said he wouldn't spend so he could get this one thing that he is now not not going to get it is delicious there is something you know comical about it um but i that's the one that's one thing and then the other thing is just i don't know again i i take the murphy line about polling to heart but uh the polls over the last week um basically we're at par on the generic ballot that's would you vote for a democrat or republican in most of these polls which is not great for republicans who should be up four or five points but then there is of course this claim that republicans are basically up two or three points because they're always undervalued on this in particularly in midterm elections and georgia herschel walker is now i believe in the polling lead. is he I don't know what the real real clear politics average has, but the Atlanta Journal Constitution had him up two in a hilarious write-up in the Atlanta Journal Constitution. They said it's a dead heat with him up two, which I loved because of course, if Warnock had been up two, they never would have said that it's a dead heat. Um, I'm just looking for this number somewhere. Anyway, uh, so uh look, if Walker wins in Georgia, the, it's pretty close to game like game over um we have a cbs news yougov with warnock up two but we had anyway where are we here Let's see warnock warnock is now up 0.3 and uh and the republican poll republicans always under poll in in georgia so they're either tied or or walker is up so i don't know i mean i think like you know, we're getting down into the nitty gritty here. And David Byler used to be at the Weekly Standard, now at the Washington Post, basically says, 
one key aspect of the data that people pay no attention to is voter registration. And Republicans have more voters registered for the midterms than Democrats do, which is pretty startling. Uh, now, that number can change because people can, in a lot of states now, can register up to Election Day. But in the primaries, Republicans had more had more voters registered than Democrats and had more votes cast than Democrats, including in states where there wasn't that much competitive juice going on that's an enthusiasm number that's an actual number where you can say republicans are more enthusiastic than democrats thoughts no those are all good thoughts uh, <laughs> even at the you know during the brightest moments of the democrats false dawn all of these cont contests were still competitive nothing had been falling away from competitive you know especially like real kind of Contests that are tainted by uh, bad candidates like Arizona with Blake Masters and Pennsylvania with Mamet Oz, those were still competitive seats, even when Democrats were supposedly doing so much better than they had any right to. Uh, so to the extent it's shifting back to where we've been for the last for the first 18 months of Joe Biden's presidency is not all that surprising as we get closer and closer to the actual vote. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to see just I mean, so. Mitch McConnell made a bit of a power play where he just, you know, is re taking responsibility, although this is not this is an NRSC thing, but taking responsibility for pulling ads out of some competitive contests, Pennsylvania and Arizona among them uh, and Ohio. Uh, and the effort here is to put the onus on people like Peter Thiel and Donald Trump's very uh, skinflint pack to get in the game. We'll see if they if they do. They don't seem inclined to, but all these guys could set Republican headquarters on fire and it would still be Mitch McConnell's fault, whatever happens. So might as well own it. Can I also point out that there's a uh, there's been some interesting, you know, post-ops, Republicans were on the back foot and, you know, the and then to speak to voter registration, there was a big voter registration drive, especially among younger, uh, younger people to register Democrat. We're going to it's all about abortion. But as we're still far enough away that some of the Democratic candidates are really fumbling on the issue of abortion, which they shouldn't have to. Right. So I'm looking at Stacey Abrams, uh, who's, you know, uh, very annoying on a number of levels, uh, mostly because she still has yet to concede the last election she lost. And has been trying to talk her way around many public statements she made to that effect now that she's running again. But she was asked about abortion and she basically uh I, I guess I would call it a conspiracy theory. She claims that, you know, fetal heart monitors and, and sonograms that show a fetal heartbeat at six weeks are fake, that it's fake, that it's a way for men to manipulate women into giving up their bodily autonomy. I mean, she's saying kind of crazy stuff. And there is some evidence that if you start to get down, drill down into the nitty gritty of actually legislating on abortion at the state level, some of these Democrats views and states. Abrams is one of these Democrats of of abortion rights all the way until uh, a baby is born live. They support that and they have to find a way to defend that. And some of the ways that they're starting to talk about abortion are going to be very off putting to voters who actually are, are concerned post jobs about abortion rights, but don't want that kind of uh, world where abortion is something that can be done well past the point of fetal viability. So she's she's one example. The other is that even if Democrats take the Senate, 
they're still in a really, they're, they're not in a great position on a lot of the issues that they are so far avoiding crime, immigration, the economy. I mean, these, these problems will still be there, even if they claw back, you know, uh, or hold on to the Senate uh, in some of these races. So I don't see them. I mean, we talked about near-term, mid-term 2024, looking ahead to 2024, they, they've got a lot of work to do uh, going ahead, even if we do have Donald Trump in the mix. They're not polling well on a lot of these issues. Crime and, oh. and immigration is back in the news in a way that doesn't help Democrats right now. That's right. But also, if the if the tide is turning significantly against them, or if, or if this is the beginning of it, um, what if some of those Trumpy ultra mega candidates that the Democrats have thrown money behind win. Uh, they're going to have hell to pay. Can we um, also revisit this whole threats to democracy polling thing that NBC News has been doing? Please, they actually, I hate this. <laughs> they destroyed their own argument for gracefully, thankfully, because honestly, it deserves to be destroyed because it's nonsense. So the last poll, 20 percent, once again, found that uh, threats to democracy ranks highest on the issue scale, even above inflation, even above cost of living. Two polls in a row now. But then they broke it down because they asked the people who responded to this to say what they mean. And they produced <laughs> a word cloud. Um, these word clouds are like the most most cited thing gets, you know, is a bigger word and then less cited, a smaller word. So it forms a cloud. Uh, and for Democrats, the biggest thing that they meant when they said threats to democracy is voter suppression. When Republicans were asked what they meant, they said the Constitution. Slightly less behind that is um, voter fraud. So what this registers, what this question registers is your partisan affiliation. They did not talk about January 6th. They did not talk about decertifying uh, election results presented by the states. That's a threat to democracy. What they talked about, what they said, were buzzwords that trigger partisan reflexes in people who are really plugged into the electorate. And it's roughly 20% of the electorate. So you can safely dismiss this finding as simply a registration of someone's partisan affiliation. Do we know what the breakdown is of who, of, of which party members say what? In other words, you say threats to democracy. The Republican line on the threats to democracy are that Democrats cheat. Um, or you know whatever, and the and the the Democratic version is Republicans are seeking to seize hold of the reins of power and are you know sponsoring insurrections. But you know if if the twenty percent number, if that's fifty fifty Democrat and Republican, that means that the threats of democracy argument is terrifying because it means that twenty percent of the country really thinks that you know we're we're in terrible danger when we're not really in terrible danger. But well, I, it means I mean, there's no democratic advantage. It means this presumption is that this is a democratic advantage number that people think there are threats to democracy. I'd have to go down into it, but this yeah. is a, this is a lot like climate change is the most significant national security threat the planet faces, and you check that box, and then you jump into your giant SUV and fill it up with a hundred dollars and drive cross country because you don't actually believe it. This is something you're supposed to say. Nobody's well, acting. Like but these saying, nebulous concepts, right. this but, ill-defined, unprovable idea, negative of voter suppression, de, pre, uh, stopping people from voting. There would have been more votes otherwise. We just can't actually prove it. Likewise, voter uh, fraud, which is really difficult to prove in court. And when it is proven, it's you can count on two hands how many people are convicted for it in, in an average year. That's the sort of stuff that enlivens partisans because you can't disprove it either. Right. 
Okay, we need to, by the way, before we go, we have to talk about Ukraine, Putin, uh, Biden at the UN, and and everything that's going on, um, because Putin is now, you know, has now is starting to, you know, like bring out the big guns as he understands them. Like he's kind of acknowledged that things haven't gone well. He's he has uh, done this partial mobilization uh of you know uh, some kind of a semi-draft and is now openly threatening the possible use of nuclear weapons because he has shifted his argument for why the ukraine war exists from we're just going in and taking back the territory that is rightly ours to this is a war of the west against mother russia i'm going to correct you there actually because they've never made this argument that they are taking back the territory that is rightfully theirs the annexation push here is what is really uh, unnerving me because it was previously a variety of pretexts and legal fictions what you mean is the liberation okay wait wait, noah 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 Noah, you're, you're using terminology people don't understand so Putin once has said that he is now wants to sponsor referenda in the four provinces that he now controls, that he will presumably gin up a result that says that the people there want to be retrocessed back into Russia, and therefore he will then have a claim that they are sovereign, that, that he is, that Russia is the sovereign power there and will annex them, right? That's, that's the annexation argument. But that's what he made is now made like in earnest in the last couple of days. Roughly. But he yeah, did Zepercher, make an argument. Kyrgyzstan uh, and uh, Luhansk and, and Donetsk. And the, both, all of these territories are contested. They are not under anyone's control right now. Right. There's ongoing fighting in every single one of these oblasts. Right. But he but when they went in in February, his argument was that they're all a bunch of sodomites and are and need to be stopped and now he's claiming that the war in ukraine is an is a war of aggression against russia well that's why this is so scary uh in part because these these territories are contested they are not in control this is a very rushed referendum they're not even making a pretense of having a fair observable referendum that was announced on a monday to be concluded on a friday um it strikes me that if there is any rationale behind this it is just to provide some sort of a flimsy pretext to do what moscow might have already determined it must do but this is happening at a time when he has now basically decided that he is going to do what he can to throw bodies into the conflict having lost tens of thousands of soldiers who are apparently just horrendously badly trained he is now literally going to just take people off the street, put a uniform on them, put them on a bus, hand them a gun, and t- you know let them off in Kherson and say, "Okay, go kill Ukrainians." Well, they and and he's the, the Russian airlines are now not allowed to sell tickets out of Russia to men of a certain age. I mean, they obviously understand that many of the people that they're uh, assuming they'll be able to throw a gun at and drop in Ukraine are not actually going to willingly go there. So he's he's got a he's got a problem. Yeah, they're recruiting from prisons. I mean, the logistics of this are that even if even if you got all these guys together now and there's some reporting this morning from um, uh, indigenous outlets that there's this classified portion of this um, mobilization, partial mobilization order that allows them to uh, draft not 300,000, but up to a million men. But these guys are going to take three or four months to train and equip, and they're not going to see, uh, they're not going to be deployable until the spring. And even then, there's no trained 
uh, NCO core that can accurately can help you know manage them in, a, in an effective way. So they're just essentially cannon fodder. And there's a lot of unrest in Moscow. This is a re there's a reason why they didn't want to pull this trigger. Um, but the assumption here is that this is going to not advance Russian interests in the ground. In fact, it'll just mean more casualties. And I'm not 100% sure of that. You can throw a million men. This is the Soviet doctrine. You can throw a million men at a, a line and break the line if you don't care uh, about how many people are going to die. So I'm not an expert in this, but apparently the thing is that the Soviet training you're talking about won't take three or four months because they don't train anybody. They don't actually have a, you know, for a, for a, for a military that supposedly, you know, like uses a war fighting doctrine that involves, you know, incredible numbers on the ground and blah, 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 blah. Apparently they have lousy training. They don't have a, they don't have a sort of record of serious. We in the United States, someone goes into the military, they have 12 weeks of, of training before they are even, you know, considered to be ready to start going anywhere in Tibet during and during the wars. It was not all that. I think it was eight weeks during World War Two. Like this is not you don't just put someone in a uniform and hand them a gun and send them onto a battlefield. And that is what apparently Russia is planning to do. And those are the people who run when. But that's a long time from now. It really, it not they're not, not going to get on a bus and go right to Ukraine. There, right. it takes it takes a couple of months for this to happen. In the interim, well, we're yeah. going to have uh, this provocation has been advertised, and now the talk in the West is how we should respond to an unconventional weapon, and it's right. getting very real. And I was re I read this piece in National Review the other day, yesterday, last night. Can't can't find it. I'm not sure where it is, but ultimately you say, okay, well, in that case, we're going to have to put boots on the ground. There's going to have to be a no-fly zone over Ukraine. We're going to have to assist and facilitate the uh, uh, um, a maritime blockade of the entirety of the Russian landmass. And yeah, Russia might retaliate. We might lose a few great cities, but it won't be our fault. That's where the talk goes. Right. That's but ordinarily cold comfort. Yeah. I mean, the real question... I mean, the real fact of the matter is the... Nuclear weapons exist to not be used. The second that broke that seal is broken, then they must be used. No, I, I look, you are that is the ultimate in the worst case uh, scenarios. I mean, the one the thing that saves us from this scenario is, and I, I'm just talking about logic here, I'm not talking about doctrine or anything like that. Putin will not survive the use of a of a of a battlefield nuke i mean well, he now, will now not... we're getting back to 1977 psyops no i'm not saying it it's i'm true, saying true. that is that is the doctrine the entire world the cold war the entire world will be together in the idea that we will level we will take bombs and we will level the we will bunker buster the kremlin his dachas and and we know where he is part of the reason that we did all that stuff back in february about how we knew what was going on in the councils of his you know, deepest, you know, war fighting arguments was to let Putin know that we know where he is. We know where he is. We will kill him. He will be a dead person. He yeah, will not I'm not sure that's, that's the logic of nuclear war fighting that we left behind in the Cold War. If we actually have to revisit no. this sort of thing, you have to. It's the, terrible. The first strike it is, is a counterforce strike. The first strike is a counterforce strike because you want to self-deter the adversary. Say, oh, we you are not. We uh, okay. Now we're getting into now we're really getting into the weeds. If you think that we're going to do do first use of a nuclear weapon, 
No, it would be a retaliatory okay. strike, but it would be a justified retaliatory strike because if one weapon is used, they all can be used. Look, I, I mean, we're now, as I said, we're going to a very, very, very dark yes. place. I just said, okay, but, you know, yes. We but yeah, all... nuclear war fighting doctrine in the in the late 70s, early 80s did envision yes. strikes that would take out and advertise that they would take out yeah. Soviet leadership because as yeah. Commentary Magazine's very influential Richard Pipes article argued, Soviets did believe they could survive a nuclear weapon, a nuclear yes. war. Yes, okay, but here's the thing. In general, this is a very interesting moment because Putin is now acknowledging that he is losing the war in Ukraine. This is an open acknowledgement that he is losing the war in Ukraine and 20 years of him building up his dictatorship and his standing with the Russian people and everything like that can go away in three. If, if, if the news is no longer that, uh, you know, Russia is triumphantly, you know, returning Ukraine to the bosom, but rather is now under assault from the West, which seeks to choke it and use Ukraine as a pretext He's a very different looking person from the person he was just six months ago. This is the biggest miscalculation in the last, I don't know, since since Gorbachev decided to do perestroika. I mean, hmm. it is a cult or or Saddam Hussein. Like it's the it's a as wars are, right? It's just an insane miscalculation that he did here. And that, you know, one way or another, he's not going to survive this. I mean, every way, every angle you look at it, he doesn't survive it in the long term. But uh, that's but that, that that's precisely what makes it scary, you know. Right. Um, my fear all along has been that he would not accept defeat in any recognizable way, and so now, so now that he's acknowledging defeat, we're we're seeing his reluctance to accept it. The right. incredibly unpalatable prospect of face-saving off-ramps needs to be on the table. I know no one wants to talk about it, and certainly we, no one in Ukraine wants to accept it. There we, has to be some way for him to de-escalate. And no, but face. this is the perfect, but in, in that sense, you're right, but if that's the case, this is the perfect set of circumstances for that, because as long as the off-ramps come with this implicit acknowledgement that this whole thing was a colossal bungle. Um, uh, the Ukrainians win. I mean, the Ukrainians are now saying that victory is the restoration of Ukraine pre-2014, right? And they should say that. Like, that's that that should be their bargaining chip, and they will probably not get that in the end. They will not get all of it in the end. But they're beating it. With restoration, by the way, restoration of, of status quo pre-2014 gives Moscow basing rights in Sevastopol. Fair enough. So my point <laughs> so is... Give them, give them back a naval base in Sevastopol. That's their face-saving off-ramp right there. Right now, Ukraine is winning a war against Russia. This is something that would have seemed science fictional. Five years ago, it changes our entire understanding of the world map and world dynamics and how all these things work. And if everything were to stop today and everybody were to just freeze in position today with the Ukrainians having taken back, you know, whatever it is, 20,000 kilometers of stuff from the Russians since they came in and whatever, like even that would be a huge victory for Ukraine. So I'm not even sure that it's that unpalatable an off-ramp. They need to say they don't want to go on that off-ramp. But Putin made a speech this week in which he said, we're losing because the West is coming at us. And that's enough. 
Like it's almost enough. It's just he has to be able to pull back also. Which I think is where Abe gets scared, right? I mean, it's like, how does he how does he pull back? But um, but he pulls back by, you know, then of course there's always the he pulls back because somebody in there puts a bullet in his head. You know, or I mean, people are now openly demonstrating. There's hundreds of people getting arrested. I mean, people all always overreact to that. Like it's always there are always protests places. And and they are trying to flee the country, which is why they're not yeah. letting flights out. Yeah. Anyhow, it's an amazing moment and and yet we're talking about Trump instead of about Putin. So, you know. Or about Iran. There's a lot of stuff going on in Iran, too. There's yep. a lot of the. Yeah. Maybe tomorrow. Okay. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> All right. And we'll be back tomorrow. So for Abe Christina, no, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.